0: Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. Okay, well, I tell you what, we are continuing in our series, Unstuck. And uh, we're wrapping it up today. We're going to jump into something different next week. But uh, I titled this one, as in we're in 2 Kings now, Absalom and the Kingdom that Never Happened. Absalom and the Kingdom that Never Happened. So I'm going to take you on a journey here. We're going to go six chapters. That's a lot. But I'm going to pull some scripture verses from each one. We have a storyline to cover here. And so I want you to engage yourself with the word today and with what I have to say. Stay alert, because God is going to take us on a journey. We're going to look closely at Absalom, the son of King David over Israel, and we're going to look closely about this kingdom that never happened that should have. We're going to begin with 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1 through 2, and it begins like this. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar, And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick. For he was, or she was a virgin. And it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. Well, right away in these first two verses, you see what is the very human capacities for sin and lusts and evil. And the people involved are Absalom, his brother Amnon, which his brother Amnon, because David had several wives, he was his Absalom's half-brother. They had the same dad, different mom. Yet the girl that was involved here that was the subject of this matter, uh, Tamar, was was Absalom's blood sister, right? They had the same father, Uh, full-blooded sister. So obviously, um, she's a very lovely young woman. And before this chapter is over, she is raped by her brother Amnon. Absalom is understandably indignant, extremely angry, and begins to plot revenge. And you see this plot unfold here in the next passage of scriptures that we're going to jump into. 2 Samuel 13 verse 23 says this, and it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Baal Hazar, which is near Ephraim. So Absalom invited all the king's sons. So here we go. He's going to unveil his plan for the murder of his half-brother. Verse 28 and 29 says this, And now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be afraid, have I not commanded you. Be courageous and valiant. And so the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. And then all the king's son arose, each one got on his mule and fled. The plot thickens. Two years he spent calculating, plotting the murder of his brother. That's a long time to plot for somebody's murder and to follow through with it. This led to what we see in verse 37, 38. All of Absalom fled Uh, Absalom fled and he went to Talmai, uh, the son of Amihud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for a son every day and Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there for three whole years. Let me explain this now because this is part of the big picture. We have to get this, all right? Talmai was actually Absalom's grandfather. His daughter was named uh, Maoka, She was given in a treaty to David to be his wife because this place, Geshur, is not of Israel. It's its own city kingdom. It's separate from Israel, not of Israel, not of the seed of Abraham, right? And so different kingdom. Absalom's grandfather lives there. His mom is from there who married David. Everybody got that? Super important that you get these puzzle pieces put together correctly. Now, David was mourning his son while he's gone. Every day, it says, Absalom was there for about three years. And what, what, what was David's attitude towards his son, who just murdered another of his sons? Well, he longed for him. He was loving and accepting toward him. Now, it wasn't that he approved of the murder, but he was reaching out in forgiveness. More about that in a few moments. Let's look at now 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 25 and 26. And let's look a little bit closer to this man, Absalom, and see who he really was here. Let's get a better description of this guy. So now all of Israel, there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From his sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. Well, he sounds like he should have been a model walking the boardwalk or something, right? You know, sure. You know, you know how they do that? They, they, you know, Sears and Roebuck, you know, the catalog you know, modeling the clothes. I don't know, whatever they do. But that's what this guy, he was like one of those guys. Everyone's like, oh, Absalom, you're so pretty. You know? He's a pretty boy. No blemish on him. This is when he when he cut his hair, when he cut the hair off his head, at the end of every year, he cut it because it was so heavy on him. And when he cut it, it weighed. they weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels, according to the king's standards. That's some hair. So, you know, He's a pretty impressive person. We get it. So Absalom comes back to Jerusalem, not on his own, but because the king's directive. The king lures him back, wants him to come home. So verse 28, we see that Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem after he came back, but he did not see the king's face. No interaction there. Stonewall. Now, let's get a handle on the chronologically chronology, chronology here before we move any further. Two years, he planned the murder of his brother. He kills him. Three years, he's in a self-imposed exile in Geshur, his grandfather's house. That was something he did on his own. Two years, he's back in Jerusalem, hanging out. That's five years that he has not seen his father's face, King David. There's two years before that. So you actually have seven years wrapped up in six chapters. It's quite a bit of time. But now we come to a sudden whirlwind of events where, uh, that leads to Absalom's death. In chapter 15, Absalom's back in Jerusalem, and he uses this as an occasion to clutch for the throne. Here we go, verse 4 through 6. It says, more of what Absalom would, would say, "'Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice.'" And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow to him, he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. And in this manner, Absalom acted toward all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So here's what he's doing. People would come to see the king for a judgment, a dispute. Absalom would head him off at the pass and Before they got to the fathers, and it says he stole all the hearts of the men, the people. That's pretty devious. Absalom begins to undermine his father's rule. This winsome, handsome man uses his personality as well as his role as the son of the king that, of course, gives him credibility. And then he begins to make himself available to offer counsel and authoritative input. People are liking this. He's available. He's solving my problems. I like this guy. And he used this manipulation to grab the throne. Then you come to chapter 17 and you see a sad account of events of a man who is in his arrogance and in his pride. He casts himself in the role of kings. He sets up another place to rule in Hebron. He declares that he is the king. And because of what he's been done to undermine his father's rule, over two years he did that. Then he calls the people to follow him. And you know what? All of Israel does. Very sad. The people, like sheep, follow a lying shepherd that that was just a hireling, and he was hired by his own pride. Absalom now has taken the kingdom from David, and David so beautifully exemplifies at this point the true spirit and trust in God and humility. Totally different than his son's pride and arrogance. David realizes that uh, part of what's happening actually is the chastisement. It's the consequence of what was coming towards him as a result of uh, his incident with Uriah and Bathsheba that we talked about last week. He was guilty of murder and adultery. And the prophet Nathan even said as a result, because of that, the consequence would be that the sword would enter your own home. And now he sees that happening with Absalom. And David, instead of taking the issue into his own hands, he's now entrusting himself to the Lord as he did many other times. Now, King David, let's remember, this man was a warrior. He was pretty fierce. He was a military strategist. And he was a strong and powerful man. But instead of retali- retaliating, he simply... Leaves the throne, vacates the throne, leaves Jerusalem, and it says he leaves weeping on his way up the Mount of Olives. And he's going up the Mount of Olives. He's weeping. He's at the lowest point of his life here now. And some man named Shimei comes out and begins to curse him and throw rocks at him. Now, David's got a lot of soldiers with him. matter of fact, he had a few thousand soldiers with him that were very loyal to him. And they looked at this guy and said, let's run this guy through. David says, no, stop. Let him do it. God's going to be my defender. See, David was not a coward. He was not powerless, but he was trusting. And David departs from Jerusalem and Absalom comes into the city. And now listen to the heart of Absalom. Listen to how far this guy has gone. Moreover, Ahithophel I think Ahithophel, these names, you know, they drive me nuts. I'll give you the liberty to pronounce them any way you want. But he was King David's advisor. You know, they had these advisors that they would really listen to. I believe he was, I was talking to Dalton. He was, uh, I think, Bathsheba's father. At any rate, it's a web. And he's there now talking to Absalom, giving him advice. And he says, now let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come up upon him while he is weary and weak and we will make him afraid and all the people who are with him will flee and I will strike only the king and now I'll bring up back all the people to you. And when they return, uh, except this man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. And the saying was pleasing. It pleased Absalom and all the king's elders, elders of Israel. Notice this. He says, your father's running, can't defend himself. At least that's what he thought. He says, we'll chase him down. He'll be disorganized. They'll run and we'll get him. We'll kill him. And all the people will be ours. We'll call them home and we'll bring them back quickly. Now I'll be yours. You'll have the kingdom. Your father will be dead. He'll be out of the way. It's all going to be in your hands, Absalom. And this, this, he said, pleased, Absalom. See, this this has got to be one of the saddest commentaries on the the plight of the proud and the arrogant, the confusion that enters the mind, the self-deception that overtakes someone. It's the dark side of human nature. Clutching his way to the throne, clutching for his own rule, manipulating his way forward. But the story's not over because in chapter 18, you can read further, Later, when you go home, we don't have time to go through all that, but it says that there's a conflict, there's fighting, and there's a reversal of the counsel of Ahithophel, and it gave, uh, he gave them, remember, hunt David, kill him. Well, the providence of God enters the picture, because David, he's trusting the Lord now, and God sees his servant, his king, and finally God decides it's time to step in. He enters the solution, the situation, and There's a change of plans, and then Absalom leaves the the soldiers in battle, and he's going through the thick woods, and the Bible says in 2 Samuel 18, verse 9, then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule. The mule went under the thick boughs of great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth, so he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which was under him went on. Here's Absalom with this great big head of hair that he's so proud of. He got caught in the trees. Now he's all tangled up there and he's dangling there helplessly suspended in midair. You know, it's been said that his big head, his pride was his downfall. So he's dangling there. Then comes Joab, King David's general. You don't want to mess with this guy. He says, I can't linger with you. It's like, he's probably looking at him going, this is embarrassing anyway, he says he took three spears in his hand and he thrust them through Absalom's heart. And while he was still alive in the midst of the turbot tree, the 10 young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. Now this news came to David and that his Absalom, his son was dead. And David went up to his chamber, it says, and he wept and he cried out, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died in your place, Absalom, my son. And you could hear this echoing across the city. As he cried out in his chambers, It's probably one of the most moving series of words you can read in Scripture. How many others like Absalom had perished the same way? Treasonous, treasonous motives, a pursuit in their pride, a quest for power, grabbing, manipulating. So many down through the corridors of history. Now, we skim six chapters, and in those six chapters, you have seven years. And they peak out far before the time that should have been. They prematurely conclude the life of this young man who was destined to be king, but his kingdom never happened. You know, I'm pretty persuaded that the history of Israel would have read like this. First king was Saul. Second king was David. Third king was Absalom. But it didn't happen because of what Absalom did. Absalom invited upon himself his own failure to fulfill his destiny as king. Therefore, his kingdom never happened. You know, 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, All in Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for reproof, for teaching, for correction, training, and righteousness, so that every man of God, every person, every child of God may be thoroughly equipped, may be equipped and perfect in every way, that we may be helped and for every good work that God has for us. So when you read the historical historical narrative that we just read in the Old Testament scriptures, we just read some material that is there for you and I so that we can be instructed, we can be corrected, we can be challenged, we can be shaped, we can be reproved if needed and instructed. Now, what are we going to learn from this? Well, first of all, we know that when Jesus came, New Testament, he Suffered, died, and rose again to establish his kingdom rule on earth through you and I. Adam lost that rule, that kingdom rule. Jesus says he's the last Adam. Restored it. When you come to Jesus making Lord and Savior, all of a sudden there's a kingdom dynamic, a kingdom of God rule that happens in your life. There's something released in and through you. whole other dimension that you would never experience outside of Jesus Christ. And the scripture says that God has called every one of us into that kingdom, not just a kingdom floating in the clouds one day in heaven, if that's how we perceive it, which it's not going to be that way. It's going to be much more exciting. But it's a dimension of life, a dominion and joy and peace of God's rule right now. It's a kingdom that has phenomenal benefits for you and I, an ongoing work of His grace, His strength, His life, His peace, His health, His sustaining goodness, right here and now through our lives. But that kingdom doesn't happen to a lot of people. And some people, it will never, ever happen because they will not ever receive the love of God through Jesus Christ. But there are other people who will enter this relationship with God through Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they're going to enjoy the promise of heaven, but they still will go through an entire life out of line with God's kingdom rule. Things will be gummed up. Things will be stopped up. It'll be like a car driving down the highway that's out of alignment, that's tires, and you're doing this. Hold on a second, let me go. You guys are still moving, all right. It's like that. Things aren't smooth. Things aren't happening the way you should have. There are problems here, problems there. Stuff's messed up over here. Why is that? Yes, they're going to go to heaven one day, but as they live life here, things are just trouble and out of line with God's purpose and his full potential in your life. So it's one thing to be rescued out of hell and damnation through Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Thank God for him, their Jesus. And go to heaven. But it's much more. There's so much more for here, right here and now for you and I, right now when it comes to his love, his peace, his joy, his purpose happening through us, knowing that he's going to help us, excuse me, help us even through difficulties, even through trials, even through times of of, of pain and suffering, and even those times when we stumble because we make really stupid mistakes through our own capacity to sin, but we come to him and live that surrendered life and repent and continue to trust in him, and because of that, there's a path of continual growth and development because we're experiencing his goodness and his mercy that works through us with abundance. And that life is flowing through us. And that would, God, that's the kingdom rule I'm talking about. It, but for this young man, there's a kingdom. And for some, even now, there's a kingdom that happens for some people. For some, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in their home. It doesn't happen in their marriage, their family, relationships, business, their own personal life, their own heart, their own mind, their own soul, even though they know Jesus. Because the reason is because there are some fundamental principles that are clearly in the word of God for us that are neglected or we refuse to do them. We just say, you know, I love you, Jesus, but I'm not doing that. And God says, well, because of that, there's something that's gonna be stopped up in your life. And there's a rule that I have for you. There's a, there's a life of God, to flow, the maximizing kingdom purpose of God that's good to get gummed up. It's gonna be out of sorts. God says, there's some fundamental things I've called you to, to follow in my word. And And to obey, and I'm not talking about a religious thing here. I'm talking about what Jesus says, if you love me, you'll just obey me. If you just love me, you'll follow me, and you'll just do what I say, because in it is protection for you and great release of life and power. That's what he calls us to. It's always for your benefit, for his glory. It always is. Never doubt that. God is good. His motives towards you are always good. But what happens if we don't trust that for whatever reason? Something gets plugged up! Remember Absalom, Absalom was supposed to be a king and there was a kingdom that was supposed to happen through him, but it didn't happen. But it kept happening through King David, even when he blew it, because he kept running back to God and repenting and saying, I'm sorry. And therefore he had the largest kingdom dynasty than any king because the kingdom of God kept happening through him. But for his son, it was cut short. It's a lesson for us. You seeing it? Is it coming together? You seeing the picture? And David cried out, Oh, Absalom, my son. If only I would have died instead of you, Absalom, my son, my son. And you can hear in the heart cry of David the cry of God himself who says to you and I, my sons and my daughters, my child, don't miss my kingdom rule that I have for you. Don't miss what I have for you right now in this life because I did die for you. So it could happen. He did. Jesus did everything he made possible for you and I to experience the life of God to its maximum. And let's not short circuit that like Absalom. Well, Absalom, let's talk about him for a moment because we have to put our finger on exactly where this all started where things began to go south we can learn from this. There's something here for us. First of all, let's look at Absalom's name because it begins there. Now, it's true of Israel. When they named their children, it was almost like a prophecy over their child. It was a statement of what they would accomplish in their life. Absalom's name had a unique double meaning. It meant son of my, of our calculation, our planning. And you can see how the enemy perverted that in Absalom, he began to do his own calculating and planning instead of God's. In other words, it, it also means a special, I have special plans for this one. He, his name also means it was a gift, a gift of God's grace. Isn't that amazing? I mean, a son of God's redemptive grace. Absalom's name was, he was named in such a way it was to indicate that there was a special grace upon him, a special favor. And you even see it in his physical qualities that later in his life, it was something that, of an expression of something that God had already given him. And it was from God's hand. From God's hand, there was this special, uh, something special given him. And, And there was also the plans of his parents that was something special for him. There's one thing that's very clear here. David intended Absalom to be the one who would take his throne when he died. And you see this when David grieves over his loss. And you see it when David continually reaches out to Absalom when he's in this self-imposed exile in Geshur. And you also see it when Absalom comes back for two years and he's winning the hearts of the people over. David gives him the liberty to do that Probably to groom him for the throne. There's no question that he was supposed to be the third king in Israel. But it never happened. And you see David's lament. You see his heart reaching out to him. You see the, the space that he gave him, the liberty, all that. And plus his name, what his name meant and called for. The plans, the special grace of God on his life says something to all of us. And what's true of Absalom is true of you and I here today. You are sons and daughters of God's special grace. You are a child of God's grace and a child from whom He has special plans. You believe that? Jeremiah 29:11, "I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans that prosper you, not harm you, but to give you hope in the future. That's the word of the Lord for you. And that's what your life is supposed to embrace. And that was supposed to happen for Absalom, this kingdom rule but it was short-circuited by his own doing. What was the first thing that short-circuited? What what, what, what was the first thing that happened? I'll tell you what that was. It was unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. He spent two years hating his brother Amnon, planning his murder. He calculated for a period of time how he could take revenge for himself and his sister. Absalom's scheme to get revenge, well, that is the very essence of unforgiveness. Jesus said that if you hate anybody without cause, then you're guilty of murder. Now, you might be sitting there going, hate anybody without cause. I got some really good cause. I'm hating that person because I did this. Well, the problem is that Jesus um, said that since you've, been forgiven such a great debt, you don't have any right to hold that debt over anybody else. You've been forgiven so much, then you need to be forgiven. And you're like, well, they don't deserve it. Well, neither do I or you, but we've been forgiven. And therefore, Jesus just took away our cause right there. We don't really, you might say, well, I don't really hate anybody. Well, are you angry? Or have you been angry with somebody for a long time? Because the Lord says, if you have anger in your heart, that's the same thing as hatred. Jealousy is another one. Uh, If we don't forgive somebody, basically jealousy is this. I'm really uh, upset at that person. I'm not going to forgive them because they have what I don't have or they're better than me. So you got jealousy, hatred, bitterness, anger. They all carry a debt of irritation. I'm irritated. You ever get irritated? Just think about that person. So if you're irritated, I don't need to say any more about that. God won't let you handle, handle that. And Absalom's planning revenge is a denial of the rule of God in this life. You know why? That's God's, God says, I'm the one who exacts vengeance. That's mine. I will balance the books. But Absalom says, excuse me, God, I'm going to take your throne over this one. I'm going to be God. I will judge that person. His arrogance and his pride was driving the way here. And and so... (laughs) What God says is, I I removed that from you. Your right to set anything straight in terms when somebody's hurt you or misunderstood you or been ungracious or brutal or cruel or unkind and all that stuff towards us. God says, you're not capable of handling the scales of universal justice. That will crush you. That's why I do it because I'm God. I can handle that kind of stuff. I'll take care of that. And we say, okay, Lord, but you better hurry up. God says, look just leave it alone. That's my business. That'll hurt you. Now, Absalom was unforgiving and he killed his brother. And Absalom then having fled to Geshur. I wonder how many times he's been to Geshur. I mean, that's where his grandfather was, right? Maybe he spent his summers there. I don't know. I mean, that's grandma, grandpa, Talai's place. It's a warm, kind, familiar place, a great place, a great haven for Absalom to go to, you know, coddle his bad attitude. He commits murder and he runs and settles in a safe place of a family that will preserve and take care of him. Now remember, Absalom, Absalom's mom was not an Israeli. She was from that city kingdom of Geshur. Now, uh, Absalom, because he was David's son, was considered an Israeli, a son of Abraham. Because he was now from, considered from Israel. But he, he, his family's from another kingdom that were not considered the people of God, the people of the Lord. They weren't considered that. Now this is key because this is where he flees to. And he's trying to hide from his own sin and failure into a place known as not really the people of God. Absalom is in Geshur for three whole years and David's reaching out to him and and he's the one responsible for bringing him back here. But Absalom's responsibility really was to say, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I made a horrible mistake. Please forgive me. I'm, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? But he never once uttered those words. And one of the things about a person living in unforgiveness is they find it almost impossible to receive forgiveness, not because God will offer it to them, it's because they're bound with the spirit of unforgiveness. And it blocks it, it they just, they just get buried. And there's no interaction, no response to the spirit of forgiveness. And he's there in a the distance from his father for three years. And it's there where he's probably pampered by Grandpa. You can almost hear the conversations. Oh, Absalom, you're a good kid. You always do right. You got it going for you. There's nothing wrong with what you did. That Hamdan, he deserved it. And besides, that father of yours, David, he should have done something. Oh, it's just too bad you had to step up, but good for you. Boy, you could just hear it, right? You had a right to, and, and remember, Absalom is the son of David, but he came out of the womb of Geshur. Just like you and I are sons and daughters of God, but we came out of the womb of the race of Adam. That carnal part of us, that old man that we left behind, hopefully, when we came to Jesus and he made us a new creation. Yet it's so easy to argue those points and wrestle with those thoughts. I'm justified with what I did. i I, it's up to me to take vengeance. It's, it's even okay in the law. Because that, that carnal background, the, there are times we just flee there for the safety, of, the safety of the carnal mind. And we start reasoning about my own righteousness, right? My own wisdom, my own way. And it's amazing how persuasive and how brilliant the carnal mind can be once we begin, once we begin to make a case for itself. And you see Absalom reasoning Amnon deserved to die. The law of my people says, you know, it was right for that kind of justice. But what about what the Lord says, where he says, I will exact justice because it's not your place, it's mine, says the Lord. Now, what you see in David is a complete contrast. The spirit of forgiveness towards the spirit of unforgiveness of Absalom. You see forgiveness because he would have welcomed Absalom back. Absalom's clutching for the throne. He raises up a counterfeit kingdom in Hebron. And David, what does he do? He doesn't clutch for the throne. He leaves the throne. He vacates the throne. He exits the throne. He says, God will take care of this. If he wants me on that throne, God will do it. Then on his way out, this guy starts throwing rocks at him and cursing at him. And David says, leave him alone, soldiers. God will be my defense. It's amazing. He's not a coward. He's a giant of a man who's trusting God to take care of things. It's, it, it's the man who doesn't want to put take things in his own hands anymore. He experienced that kind of manipulation. He manipulated Bathsheba into the bedroom. He manipulated her husband Uriah all the way up to the wall of the city where he was killed in battle. Manipulated his death. And now David's experiencing the bitter outflow of what he has done to take things in his own hands. That kind of foolishness. And one thing he's learned is, I'm not going to take things in my own hands anymore. I'm going to trust God. That's a wise man. As opposed to Absalom, a foolish man, who's even seen all the more when having been brought back to Jerusalem, lives there for two years, never seeks his father's face. And David longs to see him. Instead, he begins to undermine and clutch for the throne, manipulate his way forward, till finally, finally he receives a smile from his father. But in all that, he never one time repents for murdering his brother Amnon. It's quite a contrast. Oh, the worship team come out. He's unforgiving and there's one more thing. He's unrepentant. Unforgiving and unrepentant. I want to tell you something about repentance as we look at this. Repentance is an attitude of the mind that you must live in for a lifetime or probably never really happened to you. Repentance is where I say, Lord, I'm willing to think your way. And you change your mind, go the other direction. Now, it's not, I've received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and that's all the repentance I'm going to do. It stops there. That's as far as I'm going. Well, no, the Lord says, I'm calling you to a lifetime of letting me shape your mind, letting me shape your life, letting me shape you. This is how we keep growing. This is how we allow the Lord to make us uncomfortable in those areas of our lives where we need to be repent, turn, and allow the Lord to reshape, to redirect, so that His kingdom rule we'll be released in our life to its fullest and not be cut short and continue to happen through us even here and now. The Lord wants to reshape your mind, your thinking. Absalom dies. And the death of Absalom is so pitiful. You can hear the heart of his father weeping, my son, my son, oh, if it only would have been me. And later you hear God calling you and me saying, my child, my child, I am calling you to a higher purpose. You're a child of my plans. You're a child of my special grace. You're my child. And I have so much for you to experience. And I'm calling you to learn forgiveness, the spirit of forgiveness to learn my ways, to trust my ways. There's a pathway of ongoing repentance so we can constantly be reshaped and shaped again so that the kingdom of God will happen with power in our homes, in our marriages, in our family, in the workplace, and everywhere we go. Remember, Absalom was supposed to be that king that the kingdom never happened, tragically. It's amazing what he grabbed for that was so short-term, so short-term satisfying. That's what the devil does. Just go after this. And God says, if you would just relax and trust me, I have so much more for you. It begins now and goes throughout eternity. Don't forfeit any of that. Don't miss what the Lord has ordained for you. He has much for you. Let's stand together. There's something else, I was reminded of this in the second service after I already went back down there, but I wanted to bring it back here. There's places in our own lives that maybe we've tried to manipulate forward, taking our own hands and leverage things, and not under God's rule and reign, and not according to the precepts and counsel of His Word. We've gone outside of that and says, I'll just make this. But there's another dynamic, another aspect of this I think is so important because there's probably some in here that you have relationship, a close one or maybe a distant one, of somebody that's just gone off the rails. They're rebellious, they're hard to live with, they're hard to deal with, and yet you have been stepping in time and time again trying to prop up their life, trying to help them, trying to make things better, trying to get them down the road. And ultimately it's just been, you've just been enabling them. I believe what the Lord is saying is in that whole manipulation process with good motives trying to get this person to come on, you're cutting off the kingdom of God's rule and ability in their life. And God's saying, let it go so that God can step in and deal with that individual. He's a good father. He knows how to deal with his sons and daughters. And sometimes it's hands off. And it's hard. that could be one of the hardest things you ever do. Sometimes you just gotta let it go and say, okay, God, I'm not gonna manipulate this thing anymore because I'm just, I'm making things worse. I want your kingdom rule to happen in this person's life to the fullest and I'm getting in the way. And so I'm stepping out of the way and I'm trusting you, God. You're in your hands now. We just bow our heads for a moment. Lord Jesus, let's just come before the Lord. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we just, we're at this place in your word, this narrative that we've just walked through, that now I feel like you're in our living room, and there's some changes, or there's I'm reminded of some things that I need to do. But first of all, Lord, I just say yes to the spirit of repentance and choosing to think the way you think, Lord, to walk that pathway of life and fullness. Lord, I don't want to stop short or gum up the kingdom rule of God in my life in any way. Lord, There's, you may be here and you say, Lord, this is an area I've really made a mistake. This is where i have trying to manipulate things. Lord, right now in Jesus' name, I'm sorry. I ask for forgiveness. I'm taking my hands off. And I'm letting you, God, be rule and Lord in my life. Lord, I choose to forgive in that area. I choose to turn and repent. I choose to do whatever I need to do. And Lord, there's a situation in your life where you've been trying to cover and step in and help and enable that person that just can't seem to get it together because of their own decisions and choices. And in the process, their problems have become yours. Today, I'm choosing to let go of that person. I'm not gonna stop God what you need to do in their life. And I'm taking my hands off. This day, I'm choosing to do that. And I'm going to be praying for that person, God. I'm going to be praying daily. But in that prayer, I'm trusting you. Jesus, make a fresh surrender. Maybe you're here today and you never chose to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to encourage you to make that decision. That's a decision you make with God, you and your heart. And you just simply say, Lord, I'm calling on you. I need you. Maybe you've walked away from God and you feel like you've been out there in the far country. Maybe you've been sitting in here Sunday after Sunday, but your heart hasn't been here. And the Lord, you're hearing today saying, I need you to come home. I need you to come home so my life and my grace and my power my kingdom rule can begin to happen in your life. I would encourage you to make that choice today. Say, Jesus, I'm home. I'm coming home. I'm running to you, Jesus. I'm running back to you right now. I turn away from my own ways, my own manipulations, my own roads I've been on. I want to be with you, Jesus. I want to walk with you. I want to serve you. I want to live for you. I want to learn how to think the way you think. I make that decision right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.